Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I was just saying, Cassie, I'm really excited about your long meaty story. Mm-hmm. You've definitely Are you never excited heard of to it. tell it? <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. I feel like we should expose what's happening here. Cassie has already told this story, but sadly, on. we didn't record it. No, we can't so expose that. I think we can't expose it because people will know. They'll be like, this sounds weird. <laughs> it's new to Why the listeners. Yeah, exactly. Who cares? It's fine. They still get as much joy out of it as they should. We'll just sit here silently. Just your authentic reactions are going to be a little less authentic. I'm just going to say, you better tell it as good as you told it last time. And I will stop you. If you're... you're Lovely. You're doing your delicious eating of a box. Sweets and uh, recordings of a podcast are the worst combination ever. It's terrible. It's the bobka that I (laughs) ate one week. When we were recording, the never-ending chewy... It's like a glue loaf. Placed, yes. <laughs> yes, paste. The glue loaf. It's delicious. I mean, yeah, it was nice, but it's not It's not for... You need to have a conversation with somebody or say anything for or the next 14 minutes. Out. Yeah, you shouldn't it's have It's a delicious anything, glue anything loaf. in your mouth. But it's also kind of like an attack on your jaws. Do you think there's like, there's a podcast, because there's a podcast for everything, uh, like a porno podcast, where it's just Absolutely. sounds of sex. Oh, probably and if think? not there's a niche I think then I could get into that it's like the phone sex thing mm. do you that's remember like nostalgic do you remember I bet Channel you there's Ford no phone did a sex documentary there, I think there is oh, there definitely has to be yeah. but like not on those like oh you know uh, dial 1800 you know X, 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 X. Yeah, no, uh, you're describing a phone sex line. I always remember this really funny ad for one that I saw that was um, an Irish one. And there was a lovely Colleen. Oh, Colleen uh, Jass. Colleen Jass lying under the Irish flag. That's right. And like she was nude with the tricolour was um, on top of her. And she was like. That was the first Irish phone set. Do you remember it? Sorry, we're going way mm. off topic. This is Hot kind of Irish girls day. waiting for your call. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. I think she definitely, she had a Mullingar accent. Welcome. Hi. Why are you looking at me like that? I don't know. I want to talk more about the phone sex thing. No, not right now. Oh, for God's another sake. Day. Another day. Another find day, another um, dollar. Find a creepy story with someone who was connected to a phone sex line and then you can bring it to this podcast. Okay, I will. Uh-huh. Yeah. Challenge accepted. Mm-hmm. That's Jen O'Dwyer accepting a challenge. O D W Y E R. You're keeping it up, are you? Well, I know that. And yeah, there's Kathy Delaney. And you're Sophie White. And I'm Sophie White. Oh. I'm trying to do the thing where we introduce the thing. Yeah. yeah okay. No, no, no. You just did it. And this Jesus, podcast we do it again. That was terrible. Cassie, you do it. Welcome to the Creep Dive. It's the podcast where we do all of the hard work for you, where we go and spend our free time researching. 
for hours on the internet about stories that nobody really cares about but should. Can I say? To save you hours of your life mm-hmm. that get sucked away on Wikipedia deep dives. Not only is it interesting to do the research but it's, it's, it, is, it is creeping me out to a certain degree. Are you not finding this? Are you finding stories that, I'm, that are pretty dark and then going too far into them Realising they're not of value for the podcast, but being <laughs> unable to stop. I've been unable I'm, to look I'm away. really struggling with the motivations behind the people who perform these really heinous acts. Yeah. Like this lady that I'm telling you about today and her, like, how dark it is. Okay. And why she's done it. Well, I'm And it's excited. really fucked up with, with my head. You know, and you're like, why are we giving these people airtime? Yeah, but it's fascinating because... It's fascinating, I think, because you could pro- you can always some well, I find kind of relate to the person on some level, like they're not totally alien. I think it's if you spend so much time with them in researching that you start to lose sight. It's a kind of a Stockholm syndrome, perhaps, yes. where you lose sight of kind of what is OK and you just start sort of gaining their perspective a bit. Yeah, I had that with the people I was researching this week where I was like I definitely came from a point of pure mocking of them mm. and then I started to feel bad about that huh. and oh. examine my own self and then I caught myself and was like wait a minute no what they are ridiculous and you're being ridiculous okay well I really want to hear about it now okay wait no are we doing Cassie's first I was prepped for let's, yours. B- let's build into mine. So okay. you've got a mini, a you've got a midi, and I've got a maxi. Morsel? Yeah. All right, yeah, please. Okay, will I go first? Yes. yes, please. Okay, so this week I creep-dived into the Juggalos. Huh. Oh, it's, what's a Juggalos? Oh, yes! Are we getting some familiar yeah, head yeah. Is there face yeah, the paint clowns. involved? There's face yes. paint, yes. yes. They're like punk rocking clown types. <laughs> I think there's a band attached to that, aren't they? Yeah. Okay. Go on. So the Juggalos are the fans of a band called Insane Clown Posse. That's it. Okay. So I enjoy this territory very much because we were sort of like in secondary school with the sort of Slipknot era and the kind of like real... Green Day involved in... Well, yeah, but like they seem legit. Light like, punk. They were just like making nice music. Yeah. But you know the way like with all the masks and kind of Fred Durst and it's kind of like almost like shock jock yeah. kind of vibes and stuff like that. So Insane Clown Posse are two white uh, rappers from... Wait, so what's their rap names? So, Shaggy, Too Dope, and Violent J nice. are the rap duo known mm. as Insane Clown Posse. They have been rocking out with their cocks out for more than 20 years. Okay, so they're old white dudes now. They rapping. are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, always in uh, clown face paint. Have but they not ever like, been photographed do you remember, like, uh, Do we know what they look like? I couldn't find any pictures of their faces, actually. Well, that's clever. They're, they are at least, you know, committed. Um, but you know the way, like, Slipknot had the scary clown was one of their lineup. Do you remember yeah. the way there was, like, 18 members of Slipknot? Yeah. They I, was all too, had... I was too afraid to go near Slipknot. I, I kind of was as well, yeah, I didn't go near them. Yeah. Like, any of that Marilyn Manson didn't go near. Couldn't. Oh, 
Like it was a Ouija board kind of You know like of... if you play the music backwards Satan was talking to you kind yeah. of music Couldn't go near it No it's too Out of fear or Just too scared and timid No stuck with the Spice Girls That, that was grand Yeah and I was sort of more I was definitely like into folk music Finley Quay <laughs> And kind of crying in front of a mirror While mouthing the lyrics Yeah yeah that Like went vibe. straight from Spice Girls To like Finley Joshua Radden Kind of you Never know? heard of him But yes I'm sure it's Like a... basically from the Spice Girls To the OC soundtrack Thank you And then that everything Everything was just A little tangent yeah. off The OC soundtrack yeah. For my teens I know I veered I know around Sophie, All of those things around. But you yeah, also Yeah I loved the Spice Girls You also had Did you have a big Oh, You had the whole Nirvana gear You had a big oversized hoodie I think with Slipknot on it I had like New Rocks And like yeah. I had some of the gear Yeah Anyway, um, some of the gear, no sorry, idea. Sorry, I've just done a, a Google image search of Insane Cloud Posse and obviously, um, I I mean, I have very limited knowledge of this, but from what I can see under the face paint, the slightly larger guy appears to be uh, Guy Ferris, the guy who presents Diner Divins, whatever that we program. found out. Well yeah. done, sleuthing, Cassie. There you go. Um, that's solved. He's got really okay, spiky, cool. bleached hair and a chubby face. Okay. Yeah, he's yeah. kind of like roly-poly, kind of happy-go-lucky. And the other guy's kind of like skinnier and kind of... Uh, they've both like loads of tattoos and sort of like hairstyles, kind of concept hairstyles, yeah. face paint. Those kind of really baggy, low-slung shorts. Yeah. Favoured by kind of Americans. The I mean, Fred Durst's of yeah. the kind world. of exactly what you would imagine when you say two white rappers. Ra- yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're, they're prolific. Okay. They've written and released like hun- over a hundred songs. Any good ones? Um, will I give you a little kind of sampling of some of their lyrics? Go yeah. on. Okay, so they are like aggressively misogynist. Okay. And even though they're really cartoonish to look at, mm-hmm. some of the lyrics are horrendous. So, take for instance, I'm hating sluts. Shoot them in the face. Step back and itch my nuts. Unless I'm in the sack because I fuck so hard it'll break your back. Wow, and is this is this coming from the skinny guy or from from the larger spiky haired man? And scratch my nuts. That's genius. Itch my nuts. That's brilliant. Anyway, yeah, they sound really mature and cool. Mature and cool. Like friends I want to have in my life. But also, you know, um, they want to be good role models. Here we go. Truth or dare. Their track. Truth or dare. I double dare you, swallow every pill in the bottle. I double dare you, tongue kiss a toilet seat at McDonald's. I double dare you, dig up a body and take it home. Give it a sponge bath and do what you want with it. So keep your necrophilia clean, kids. All right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Hygienic necrophilia. So who, what kind of, who, what type of people follow these guys? Exactly. Okay. The juggalos. So the juggalos. um, So... Wired Mag did a profile on the Juggalos a few years ago. Um, so they kind of, ICP, as they're known for short, have like pretty much since the kind of early noughties kind of operated underground. Mm-hmm. They have like a really, really focused group of diehard fans. Okay. But they've kind of always been a joke. Okay. Um, they kind of had a little bit of like... Um, handbags with M&M back in the day 
Uh, handbags oh, right. adorned. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, huh. Uh, there was a little bit of a beef. Um, but, you know, it's like nonsensical, like anything connected yeah. Yeah. to face paint wearing white wrappers, you can, yeah. as you can imagine. But um, the Juggalos, their fans, um, because of their behavior, the ICP have actually been banned from performing in various cities where Juggalos have been implicated in murders and gang violence. Wow. So, in 2011, the Justice Department's National Gang Intelligence Center decided the Juggalos were a loosely organized hybrid gang, like the Crips, Bloods, and MS-13. The annual gang threat assessment report said they engaged in criminal activity and violence. All right. All right. So, in their wired profile, they were described thus. Despite a sizable population of female fans dubbed... Juggalettes. That's right. Mm. ICP's following is made up mostly of young white men from working class backgrounds. They tend to feel that they've been misunderstood outsiders their whole lives, whether for being overweight, looking weird, being poor, or even just for liking insane clown posse in the first place. It's a world where man boobs are on pride display, where long hairs and pink hairs mingle, where nobody makes fun of the fat kid tailing off. That's where I started to get on side with the Juggalos. Yeah. And I was like... Well, yeah, I mean, wear your weird, be your weird and be proud. And yeah. And and Sophie, stop mocking this. Shall we hear from a juggalo? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm oh out. God, man, if one from fucking Jay and Chat and do that shit would not be on, I would be, I don't want to fucking think of the kind of motherfucker I'd be. I grew up to be a fucking decent, fucking good-hearted, good-natured motherfucker. I'm a fucking nice person. I can cook like a motherfucker and make some fucking straight-up fucking grub. I might be back in. Fried steak, fucking collard greens, fucking mashed potatoes, all that fucking good ass sausage. What does he say? He's listening food. Okay. Everything, man. I cook like a motherfucker. I want to find a skinny-ass little bitch. <laughs> that was the best shit ever. Wow. Okay. So. Okay. So we've got a really clear profile of what these juggalos <laughs> are like now. So, um, yeah. So they had this issue where they were being classified as a gang, and they and like they they have like a huge you know gathering like a festival that's called the gathering of the juggalos every year yeah. i think i've seen video yeah, footage there's, of this there's video. a documentary on vimeo called american oh, juggalo i have uh, seen that and um, that's yeah. kind of about their festival there's yeah. even been a book written about them called you don't know me but you don't like me um would i be right in they kind of feel like the original trump supporters that's what i was just yeah. about to say are they all right alt right yeah. bastards are we gonna get they're all white but as far as the uh, Every, I can remember from the I didn't see any person of colour in that whole documentary. Yeah. But they do talk a lot about how they're, how they're a diverse group. But they definitely don't seem like, you know. 
And the juggalettes, like, are they good and ferocious? Are they fighting? They did back? seem fearless and fun. Good. Fun as fuck. Like, the thing I watched was about the juggalette beauty, beauty pageant. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where <laughs> it is all familiar. It was like a Broadly or Vice documentary on YouTube. Nice. Mm. Okay, so we talk a bit about their kind of crimes and misdemeanors. Yes. Okay, so they are sporadic, disorganized, characterized. Sorry, they are characterized as sporadic, disorganized, individualistic and often involve simple assault, personal drug use and possession, petty theft and vandalism. Though reporting suggests that a small number number of juggalos are forming more organized subsets and engaging in more gang-like criminal activities such as felony assaults, thefts, robberies and drug sales. Social networking sites are popular conveyance for juggalo subculture to communicate and expand. There have been at least two incidents where juggalos have been violent. Earlier this year, Wisconsin, oh, so that's in 2014, um, a Wisconsin man was sentenced to three and a half years in prison for using a machete to cut off a woman's pinky finger and drinking her blood. Well, that's okay. just overkill. I'm, that sounds very juggalo-ish to like, me. That's a large <laughs> knife. You could have done that with the pliers. Okay. I do, thanks for the critique. Um, They're quite dramatic, aren't they? Well, actually, group. they are very, like, sorry, this goes on to say that that cutting off the pinky and drinking of the blood was all to honour a juggalo who had died. Right. So it is, it's very, it is, it's still kind of like a riff on the kind of teenage crying, looking in the mirror, listening to yeah. your, you know, it's still that kind of behaviour. Um, then... Uh, later that year, two men tried to carve and burn a tattoo off their room housemate's arm because they thought he had disrespected the juggalos. And um, so quite intense. So they marched to protest their gang classification. Um, and I do think that the gang classification is a bit of a reach. But meanwhile... The Juggalos were about to have a little bit of a surprise when Insane Clown Posse released a song called Thy Unveiling. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. So remember, this is a band that have lyrics like barrels in your mouth, bullets to your head, the back of your necks all over the shed, boom shaka, boom chop, chop, bang. Okay. Transpires that ICP, who have for 20 years been singing about murdering the fuck out of people, women mainly, and, um, and raping and, oh, just disgusting stuff. So, apparently all this time... They've been secret evangelical Christians. What? <laughs> How did this come out? How? No. No. Yeah. So in Thy Unveiling, the song that they released, it spelled out the revelation beyond all doubt. Fuck it. We got to tell. All secrets will now be told. No more hidden messages. Truth is, we follow God. We've always been behind him. The carnival is God and may all juggalos find him. We're not sorry if we tricked you. So the band literally were all along. Yeah. And were they encoding messages 
through their songs. Yeah. Now, some fans claimed that they had an inkling. Okay. That they deciphered some of the hidden messages. Like? But most felt deeply betrayed and outraged. Naturally. They had been innocently enjoying all these songs about, uh, you know, dismemberment and necrophilia and shooting women. And it was Christian rock the whole fucking time. Brilliant. Yeah. Good on them. There you go. Violent J explained himself. You have to speak their language. You have to interest them and gain their trust. <laughs> Talk to them and show them that you're one of them. And so hang on. Is everybody still following them? Yeah, I mean, it was divisive. Um, you know, but they're still out there. They're still doing their insane class, uh, insane claim posse thing. Except now just as Christians. Out and out Christians. Out and out Christians. They put out a song called Miracles um, that, uh, you know, kind of was there like, here's why God's real. And um, it talked about all the different miracles that you see in the world, like elephants and magnets. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> There's one line that's like, something like, you don't believe in miracles? Well, how does a magnet work? <laughs> and then this scientist put a brilliant response on YouTube that was like, this is how a magnet works. Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay. That's, that's the juggalos and the insane Brilliant. crime party. Oh, I'm so interested in this now. It's going to keep me awake. Oh, yeah. Do you know? You, you sound like you're being sarcastic. Sarcastic. No, I, I am. This is so... I've had Are a, you Googling it I there? had a very brief stint myself as an evangelicist Christian a ah, couple of years ago. So you, I know the ins you, and outs of it. And I need reborn? to... I was. What? Yeah. We need to creep dive into that one week. That, that, that'll be... And are you, have you been unborn? Or did you die? Yeah, or whatever just, the fuck is... Just, just, just is went it, off into the distance. It just stopped happening. Yeah, I like saw the light and walked the other way. And so what made you see the light and walk in in the first ah, place? Ah, it's a long story, Jen. We'll get into it another time. Really, fascinatingly, do want to get into it another mm-hmm. time. I really, really want to get into that. Yeah. Um, that's amazing well on the do you want to hear my short one yeah yeah. It's not that, well, give us a tidbit did, did you ever have an experience with somebody and then you left that person and thought that was a really unusual experience and I'll remember that person forever I used to work in a vintage clothes shop and there, this guy came in once and I was there with my friend Nadine and his name was Happy Acres right mm-hmm. It was his actual name on his credit card because he went to buy the one thing in the shop that none of us could ever sell, this kind of fringed jacket. It was mental. And he was kind of mental too, but in a really exceptionally nice way. And he left and we both went, that guy was a fucking angel or something. Did you never, do you have an experience like that ever? Again, she's a former evangelical. Yeah, I guess. And I'm not like particularly religious or I believe in that at all but definitely that experience I was like there's something really unusual about this person that guy yeah and uh, so when I started to read this story I remembered my experience and I was like fascinating and somebody else had a type of experience now this one is sadly uh, not happy I would say let me just find it for a second. Is it an angry angel? A negative angelic experience? Well no because it's a reddit post about a guy who thinks he met the devil Oh, into it. So uh, here, this is his post and he writes in his own words. So I'll just read it out to you. Uh, So this, he said, 
haunted me for a long time. I was about 19 or 20 at the time. I was living in Savannah. I drank a lot. I had a crappy fake ID. I worked this terrible job as a grunt labourer. Uh, the kind where you go to those temp labour agencies, show up at 4am, work until 5pm. Uh, I would drink myself to sleep after only uh, taking home maybe $60 for the day. I was supposed to go into work this particular morning, but I decided to skip. Uh, hang on a sec, sorry. But I decided to skip. Uh, I called the girlfriend and told her I wanted to go to the beach. Um, so And then started drinking. She came over. We hop in my big ugly van, uh, pick up some rods and head to the beach. I decided to have a drink across from the beach at this little bar. And this is where the story gets interesting. Uh, shortly after ordering my drink, I get this really weird feeling and become hyper aware of my surroundings. The door opens and I see this guy walk in out of my peripheral vision. There was a seat behind me and my girlfriend, uh, but the bar was empty at like 9 a.m. And he could have sat anywhere else, but he chose to sit right between her and me. Uh, then he started doing this thing with his fingers. The bar top was reflective and he, takes he took his fingers like two little legs and just started walking them or skating with them on top of the counter. Uh, this wasn't something out of the ordinary, but I took notice because when I was in school, I did that all the time. I pretended I had rollerblades on my fingers and that's what, you know, yeah, I can yeah. kind of get that visual skating yeah. around. Um, so I became kind of mesmerized for some reason. That's when he looks at me and in in this, he kind of, he describes it as Germanic or Nordic accent, he says. I'm not going to try it. Uh, I noticed you're a man who pays attention to detail. I'm also a man who pays attention to detail. Now, before I could continue, I have to describe this guy. He had a short, he had short, spiky hair that was bleached at the tips, kind of 90s style. He had really expensive clothes on, like a nice Prada leather jacket, designer jeans, nice boots. He seemed like the kind of guy, a, a kind of, he describes him as uh, a gay guy with awesome fashion and distinctive taste. I'll always remember this because I could because I think to myself some weird homeless crazies couldn't have afforded those clothes. So obviously he looked a bit. Anyway, flash. Uh, yeah, flash. The other thing that struck struck out was his eyes. They were piercing grey. They reminded me of a husky's eyes, but his pupils stayed this disturbing pinpoint size. They were just extremely small, which caused his look to be kind of terrifying. His teeth they were normal but not at the same time. I don't know how to explain it. They were sharper than they should be, as if they were filed slightly. His hands were normal, but his fingernails were slightly long, pointed, as if he deliberately filed them that way. He kept licking his teeth, too, as if he were salivating. Everything I got about this guy, you just look at him. Everything seemed normal, but also off at the same time, like as if you're crazy for thinking it. Uh, this guy then starts talking about relationship between me and my girlfriend, but really strangely. He talked about how beautiful she is and how I should pay her more attention. Shortly after he began talking like this, I had the most knowing feeling come over me. Like I knew this guy was not human. <laughs> he looked at my girlfriend and said, you need to leave. She just kind of looked up like she knew. And without a word of protest, she got up quietly and left. Later, I learned that she went next door to get a coffee. This is when the guy literally says to me with the most utmost confidence, you were supposed to go fishing today. He points at the beach across the street. If you had, I would have drowned you in that ocean. And I shit you not, he fucking hissed. After, uh, for some reason, this overwhelming calm came over me. I just asked, who are you? He answers back with this crazy guttural sound. Like, 
Akbak, but it was really long. I don't know. He's describing it like Arabic or Hebrew or something. Aramaic. Yeah, maybe. I just, for some reason, without skipping a beat, I have no idea why I was so calm. To this day, I just said, say it in a way I can understand. He said, you can call me Jimmy C. I jumped off the San Francisco bridge years ago and we've been wait- watching you. From then on, he referred to himself as me, and not as me or I, but as we. The conversation became really strange after this. He was saying things like, we see you taking a bath. We wish we could feel the warmth of the water, the comfort of the steam. He kept buying me drinks, specifically whiskey sours. It was like he had an endless supply of money. He smoked Marlboro ultralight cigarettes. After I don't know how long, because I lost sense of the time, I told him I have to leave. I walked next door to get my girlfriend and she was stone silent. We started driving home. Uh, don't say a word. Then I just asked, do you know what that was? And she said, that was a demon. The girl had parents. They were scientists. She was really analytical, completely non-religious. It was the first thing out of her mouth. Now, I didn't say this part before because to me, it was the most important aspect of the story. So I'll say it now because it's what happened after that screwed me up for years. The last thing this Jimmy C guy said to me before I left is, look at my car. I looked outside to see if those newer Volkswagen Beetles, it was a white one. What does the license plate say? He said. I looked at the plate and it literally said fierce. He looked me dead in the eye and said, next time you see me, I'll be driving a Mercedes and the license plate will say Utopia. Stupid, right? The night was, that night I was still calm. I don't know why. I felt like the guy in office, blah, blah. He described some some scene out of a movie. Uh, But my girlfriend started having terrible nightmares. This guy's head just looking at her in his dreams. Weeks went by and that's when the encounter started affecting me. I found myself becoming paranoid about that black fucking Mercedes. Every black car I saw, I checked to see if it was Mercedes. I immediately looked at the license plate. Now, I'm going to fast forward a bit, about 10 years ago, to go by. I'm 29, uh, so this is just recently. And uh, in silence, when I'm alone, when I'm drinking, I often think about this encounter. I still look black at the Mercedes every, every time one passes. But I'm not so much anxious about it anymore as curious I remember my girlfriend at the time always kept journals and by now uh, I'm pretty obsessed with this topic after years of trying to find news articles of Jimmy C that committed suicide off San Francisco Bridge looking at black cars so on I feel like I'd, I felt like I would grow out of all this and yet still I needed to know so last year I tracked down my ex-girlfriend and we he goes on to say he ended on bad terms but however so she rooted out her diary of the time Mm. and it mirrored exactly his story of the parts just before obviously she left the pub and then when she came back after and then it talks about him explaining this Jimmy C guy and the Mercedes story Mm. so she'd kind of uh, she documented it totally and then kind of the reddit poster there's a lot of comments underneath and then people started researching and they found this Jimmy C guy who had died off the San Francisco (gasps) bridge Reddit's losers. Yeah, and another guy uh, looked up this Mercedes with a with this Utopia reg, and it exists. So they were going back and forth underneath at the time that I finished reading about whether they could find the color of the Mercedes. Apparently, it was supposed to be black. Anyway, it just fucking creeped me out, and I thought that's an amazing story. So it's ongoing at the moment, but it definitely reminded me of. Does everyone have that sort of had like a weird encounter? Okay, like so that. that reminded me very heavily of my first nervous breakdown when I was 22. Okay. <laughs> like this guy might have just had a nervous breakdown. Or like be, be in the that's midst exactly of what it was like inside my head when yeah. I was back then. The layer of strangeness. 
before the medication had been introduced. Well, in fairness, he talks about having been drinking a lot during that time as well. But yeah, I'm very skeptical of it. I but mean, you I see, I'm not skeptical at the same time. But I mean, because nothing, I... nothing happened that wouldn't that was supernatural there necessarily. I mean, it's just a person telling you things. It's just the experience of but the all strangeness the, of it. All of his like responses are really interesting. But it's like all of that supernatural stuff. There's kind of like you can find lots of logic to it. No, not explanations yeah. that are scientific. Yeah. Oh, look, you and can you can believe them exactly. if you want to be boring. Correct. Or you can be like, Whoa, Jimmy sees a demon. Yeah. See, I have to just choose that there there is no Satan. Because <laughs> you have to. Well, if you've walked. But I if, guess, I, if I start getting into it, do, do you not think the world just becomes so scary if you accept the truth? I do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I would rather just not. I swear to God, my experience meeting Happy, Happy Acres. Acres. Definitely. I'll always think of that name. I'm like, geez, I will never forget that. And whatever, it probably, like you say, could have just been a guy called Happy Acres, which who was extremely nice. But the fact that there was somebody else there and Nadine was there, and when he walked out, and we both went, "Holy God!" Like that was something really weird. Yeah, yeah. Like both of us said, "We will never see that guy again." And I've googled him since. I can't find. There's a place called Happy Acres that I can find. But it, like, I remember looking down at his credit card and he paid for. It. We had all the the old swipe machines, so he'd kind of a long yeah. time looking at the card, seeing his name on the credit card, even and being like, "Huh." Huh. That's a real name, and he was so otherworldly or something. Yes, absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, it was just totally weird. Anyway, that's my story. Love it. I know. Da, 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 da. I love it because I like the idea that there's there's kind of not necessarily well, I guess good and bad, but something outside of our realm of understanding. Oh yeah, I'm yeah, so here I for it. Um, I think I believe in it wholeheartedly. Well, I sort of want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. Okay, you don't... Well, why not? But, like, I read books during this uh, this aforementioned kind of um, very religious, born-again Christian, evangelical stage. Stop clickbaiting us with that. Yeah, for And then not, not delivering. I um, would read all these books about people being, like, going from drug addiction to being saved and finding out that there's, there's, there's this whole genre of books specifically about people who were in gangs and who were you know, addicted to heroin who would kill people who would find Jesus and be saved. And they always reference Satan and demons and devils and all these experiences. And I just now, years later, choose to ignore all that and just live my life happily. Yeah, Not affected by the demons that may or may not be around us. I guess. Well, I mean, it doesn't sound fun. Yeah, no crack. No crack. All the <laughs> you can take your logic. Bore Just off. Just like it. me and Netflix is happy out. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, no demons. Watching Break Off, demon free. Yeah. So I've got a KitchenAid mixer. Like, I'm happy with that. I don't yeah. need demons. Could be haunted, friend. <laughs> I've heard about no, you. No. Uh, but yeah, no, I like the kind of the be drawn into the bit of the mysteries. I love those stories. Yeah. Because the people, the people that tell them to you often, they really believe and have ex- feel that they have experienced this thing this thing actually happened to them and I kind of believe that it did but oh, yeah I you're right parts it of it happened it's just I, I, I can't accept Satan into my life I can't can't do it well, Satan's going to have something to say like, about I can't that, even Delaney. go to the Hellfire Club like don't want to do it really yeah can't do it I get so creeped out really don't want to do it even in the middle of the day yeah creeped out it's weird we should do the Hellfire Club story as well oldie you know, but a goodie yeah hell yeah yeah Sorry, but Cassie's, Cassie's now like shifting around like this no, isn't what no, we signed no, up for no. with the group dive. Yeah. Okay, let's change tack completely. 
this is a completely we're remaining different in darkness story. with your story oh it's everything's so dark but like Darker at least than... this doesn't directly involve satan okay so Unless i have satan was acting through don't don't <laughs> don't get into it <laughs> please i want to tell you the story of the world trade center survivors network and a woman called tanya head you've heard about her let's go okay so the world trade center survivors network was one of the most prolific networks for people who are affected by obviously the 9-11 attacks and it was led quite in large by a woman who went by the name of tanya head okay the name continues to distract me yeah and her story I was need a name that's just gonna fit in tanya you know? head so her story tanya was so head. prolific it kind of it was it became one of the stories that was cited so much on the internet in um sort of uh anniversary stories about the about the 9-11 attacks people really admired tanya head because her story was just so profound it was a real tale of like um travesty but of hope as well because and heroism and heroism and like it was yeah. absorbed into the kind of narrative so basically her story was that she was in the first tower um and she was in the sky lobby of the 78th floor when the plane hit um and she was basically one of 19 people who was above the point of contact when the plane hit and still survived and um, she said at the time she worked for Merrill Lynch and that her husband was in or her husband fiance kind of murky waters was in the second tower um so basically the way this came about is tanya joined an online network for survivors in 2002 and she was kind of like around the group offering people support she was putting in pieces of advice and then she built up to the point of telling her story and she started telling her story in little dribs and drabs And this was some of the story that she had said. I had started my way out and was in the sky lobby of the 78th floor waiting for the elevator when the plane hit. It was so crowded. Everybody was pushing, trying to get into the elevators. Shortly after that, someone yelled that there was a plane coming. We heard the roaring noise from the jet and then there was a deafening explosion and a fireball ripped through the lobby. I find it very hard to talk about what happened afterwards. But she went on to describe the smell of burning flesh she talked about a decapitated secretary from Merrill Lynch she talked about lifeless bodies um, and she talked about even she talked about taking clothing from lifeless bodies to wrap around her burned bleeding limbs Um, she talked about having to hold her arm on with her one of her her arm had kind of become severed and come off and she talked about holding it on to her body she talked about a dying man who outstretched his hand and held gave her his wedding ring to give to his wife and she talked about this story of a hero in a red bandana who extinguished her burning clothes and a fireman who carried her to safety afterwards. My okay. God. Very specific, very graphic details. Really, really specific. And this is what held her story together. There was a man who was in the investment banking from Sander O'Neill whose offices were in the World Trade Center on the 104th floor of the South Tower. And there's this man, he was 24, he was a graduate, who was called Wells Crowther. 
So Wells Crowther had a really, uh, really close relationship with his father. And his father had this kind of signature style of wrapping a comb in a red bandana and keeping it in his pocket always. Mm. So, so at some point in his life, his father gifted Wells a red bandana, which people said he wore everywhere. Either he wore it under his clothes, wrapped around his wrist, in his pocket. He had it on him at all times. He was there in the towers on September 11th. And he had his red bandana um, on him, right? Now, Wells Crowder had, while he was working in investment banking, he, it was said that he had always wanted to become a fireman. So when the uh, planes hit, he immediately started helping other people. In 2002, Wells's mother found survivor Judy Ween, who wrote an account of a tragedy for the New York Times. And she described being saved from the South Tower by a man with a red bandana. Um, Crowder contacted... So Wells's mother, Ju- Wells's mother contacted Judy and they um, made the connection that it was definitely uh, her son, Wells, that yeah. had helped her. And there was also another woman called Ling Young, who he carried on his back down 17 stories to safety. Right. And then he ran back in to help other people. And he unfortunately passed away and his Jesus. body was found in with the firefighters in this makeshift kind of um so bunker area so he was a real, real hero, hero yeah. with a very specific that he had died with this very specific red bandana yes wrapped around him i know so that story was published in the new york times in 2000 in may of 2002 and at some point in 2002 is when tanya head started posting her story into this online forum so so okay. who's to say okay. whether she read it well, she, or did not yeah. read it or, or not right um so Tanya Head became more and more interested in the survivors network and she sort of took it from an online entity into an offline proper support group. And with that, they sort of, um, you know, became more structured. They would meet regularly. They had a chairperson and um, Tanya very quickly started kind of coming I suppose into seniority in the group and running it and really organizing it and stuff. And she was considered like a co-founder so or a like coach, a key member, a really stage. key member. And so when press would um, contact the group for any stories or any events, she was always kind of there at the forefront. But she had this really um, significant uh, sort of reluctance to talk to the press. And she always said that she was trying to protect the identity of her fiance Dave's family. So. She basically said that she had a fiance called Dave, that they'd had this unofficial sort of wedding ceremony in Hawaii just before the attacks had happened. Um, and he was very loving. They lived in the east side. They lived in the east village. They had a golden retriever called Elvis. Again, really specific details. Mm. But she never referred to um, his family or anything like that. But even in the story that she, she was telling about the attacks, she said, her motivation was that she kept thinking about my life, my family, my fiance, our wedding. I wanted to wear that white dress and to swear my love for him in front of family and friends. I wanted to have his children. He was in the other tower. I did not know that he would not survive. I believe that he stopped to give me the strength to get out of there on his way to heaven. I was oh one of the last God. people out of tower too. Yeah. So it's a cinematic tale. Oh, like I'd say it's there were on movie. A huge yeah, level. there were movie producers considering her story Julia Roberts was going to play her yeah so this is where it all starts getting really weird okay so in 
the network, in this kind of survivor's network, there were people who joined who were not necessarily in the tower or who had families in the tower, but like witnesses and people who were just... Were feeling trauma. Yeah, people who just events, felt trauma yeah. about it. And one like of them... The whole city was really so traumatized. Like, yeah. Um, in the, the wake of those events. Like the kind of impact was so far reaching. Massive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was, it's completely traumatic. So there was a woman called Win- Linda Gormley who joined. Um, and she became close friends with uh, with Tanya. And she's described by people as being quite submissive. Now, she was a witness of the towers. And when she actually went to one of the first meetings within the group, she went to a physical in real life meeting. And she saw that people were kind of crowding around Tanya, were so impressed by her story. And it would be quite um, frequent that Tanya would stand up at these meetings and tell her story over and over again. Incredible. Mm. So Linda spoke sent her an email afterwards and was like look I um I really appreciate being invited you know what you've done but I don't feel like it's justified me being in this network I, I don't think my experience is compared to yours at all I just was someone who was on the street who witnessed it who's feeling you know PTSD or whatever yeah um but Tanya turned around and was like no keep keep coming the network's there for everyone so she encouraged her to keep going and they actually became really good friends and it was kind of through their, they, they sort of, they turned up to everything together. They were like rarely seen without each other. And Tanya turned to Linda and told her that her therapist had suggested that she start this thing called flooding therapy, whereby Tanya would record her story and start listening to it in the presence of a friend until the story stopped being traumatic. So she so it's like exposure therapy almost. Yeah, or. bizarre. So she made this audio recording of her telling her story in graphic detail. Remember, like, remember all of these details, the de- yeah. decapitated secretary, the ball of fire, burning flesh, all of these gory, gory details were included in this audio recording. And she was to sit with Linda and listen over and over again. And Linda started getting really traumatized by the audio and it had kind of adverse effects on her where it was becoming more and more traumatic, where mm. she was getting nightmares and she couldn't forget about it. So she told Tanya that she didn't want to continue doing it anymore. And Tanya told her that she was a bad friend and how dare she not sit with her and give her the time of day and that she her experiences were so much worse than hers. And the least she could do was to sit Ooh, down. She threw that back in her yeah. face. Wow. Yeah. Um, so anyway, as the network kind of progressed, um, Tanya soon turned the pe- members of the network against its original founder, Jerry uh, Bog Ox, weird second name. Um, and she sort of gained the reins. She sort of turned, she turned people against him, against his leadership style, against his organization. And she then became the sole sort of president. Power play. Power play, yeah. Um, of this uh, group. Um, so then like there was loads of things that had happened there was like some fund that's very loosely reported about that was connected to this survivors network some sort of um, like just goodwill fund that they could tap into to run events and all this kind of stuff obviously they sort of gained massive support from people Mm. like I said uh, media outlets would reach out to them to hear their stories would often feature people in the network and any sort of events any tours of Grand Zero they were there uh, Tanya had had led some really high profile tours around the site telling people about her story and all this kind of stuff then in 2007 it was approaching the 6th anniversary of the attacks and the New York Times writer David Dunlap reached out to Tanya because he wanted to cover her story again this is someone who's um, 
told the story multiple times on the internet, multiple times in real life, and he had heard it and wanted mm. to reach out to her and feature it in the New York Times. But she became very, very abrasive with him and didn't want to be featured. And she went as far as to get people in the network to leave abusive voicemails on his phone, telling him to back off. So Dunlap became really suspicious of why she was behaving like this and basically informed her that he was going to start investigating her story. No one had at that point um, sort of validated any of the facts Mm, that she had been that she had been saying at this stage for half a decade. Um, So he reached out to the so he reached out to the family of oh sorry before that Tanya had made contact with Wells Crowther's family and they believed that she was another woman that he had saved yeah he's the red bandana yeah so she was part of that that kind of cohort as well she had um offered to give them a a coat she was wearing or something as some sort of like sort of i don't know remember yeah yeah. relic of what he had he had last touched or something or he'd helped her but they politely declined whatever but they were um they were fond of her. So she didn't even though, herself with them. Yeah, even though she never really got into the finer details of things with them. Mm. They were just very respectful of her kind of being traumatized and withholding well, of information. Yeah, of course. Yeah, You're not going like to push okay, for answers. Yeah. Um, so it was David Dunlap who reached out to the family and friends of the man who Tanya had claimed to be she had been engaged to. And it was the family and friends that said they had never heard of Tanya and that their relationship that she described with the man who did truly die in the North Tower, they described it as as an impossibility. So there was a man, there was a man she described um, who had passed away, but his family said there's no way they were in a relationship together. We'd never heard from him. A spokeswoman from Merrill Lynch and Company, um, where Tanya had said she had worked, said that the company had no record of employing someone at any stage by the name of Tanya Head. Uh, So things start to kind of unravel and she starts to get a little bit stressed. So David Dunlap hasn't published any of this story yet, but um, Tanya sort of gets ahead of it and decides that she better go speak to an attorney. So she reaches out to a social worker in the network and she asks her to come to the attorney's meeting with her and was in the attorney's meeting after a couple of minutes that it all unraveled. Tanya Head wasn't there was not even called Tanya Head she wasn't even in America at the time of the attacks and none of it was true not an ounce of it was true had she ever worked in the towers? She had never worked in the towers. She wasn't even in America at the time of the attacks. Oh my god! How could she be? How could you sleep at night trying to keep up with your own web of lies? Well, the this stress is, involved. But this is it, okay? It goes back to someone who is described growing up as someone who has a problem with telling the truth. So Tanya Head was actually Alicia Head, born in Barcelona in 1973. So Head wasn't even the fake part. <laughs> no. <laughs> she was the daughter of wealthy and extravagant parents. Um, she was the youngest girl in a family with five brothers. And she was is described as growing up with like really extravagant gifts, including horses, Sport. yachts. They had a really lavish lifestyle. Um, she was always obsessed with the US when she was growing up. And she had a big American flag hanging from her room at all times. When she was in her teens, her father and her brother were convicted of embezzlement and it was like a deeply embarrassing. So I gather that this was quite a prominent family in sort of 
Barcelona like in they would have been sort of probably socialites and it was quite like wildly reported about this embezzlement charge so it became a source of like great embarrassment for Alicia um, and then on top of that there was a car crash when she was 18 in which um, she severed her arm and it had to be surgically reattached and she has got scars. prominent scars on her arm. Oh. Uh, and there was one oh, account course, that... which gave her story, the ring yeah. of truth. There was one account of um, the car crash and someone describes finding her sitting across the road from the wreckage, holding her arm, staring at the car crash. So I don't know if that's shock or creepiness or her hogs were ticking. <laughs> I think weirdo. that's shock. She was like, yeah. I'm going to do something with this. Um Anyway, she was intelligent because she studied an MBA and um, she worked in property and she was described oh, no as doubt. being yeah. she was described as being very successful yeah. and quite intelligent. And in two thousand and two, she told her friends that her dreams were too big for Barcelona, and she set off to the US of A. Adios. So that was a year after the attacks was when she landed. In when she landed in the US, she changed her name to Tanya Head. She was a frequenter of chat rooms, and that is how she came across the Survivors Network. For the 9-11 attacks. So she was on the hunt for a new life, a new persona. Mm. So she sought it out. She inserted herself. Well, like she found the chat. I mean, she, she kind of found the chat group. Yeah. She sought it all out and then began her. Do you think she'd planned it? She must have planned it. I think from the, almost from, from the very start. When you start chatting in this chat group, they're like, why are you here? She's like, oh, I'm Tanya from Barcelona. I'm also affected. Do you know what I mean? She did she, ever, had did she say she was from beginning. Barcelona? Or did people generally think she was from America? I'm not entirely certain. She's very, very Caucasian looking. So she is like she could have passed. Um, and well, she's very are Caucasian, aren't they? <laughs> but like yeah, not. No, she was very, I guess very it pale. Doesn't matter whether she was Spanish but or like, American. Yeah. Was, no, of course not. Um, yeah, it's so crazy because she like is a person who experienced 9-11 in the same way that we did. Sorry, exactly. Like at such a vast remove. Yeah. Um, that And it was like, that was one of the first kind of huge disasters that was so like assiduously tracked from start to finish you could watch it from every angle and it played Absolutely out like right. a disaster film yeah which i they've there's been a lot of writing around how people's responses and their kind of empathy regarding 9-11 are really stunted by the way that we consumed it in this kind of fascinating yeah like watching, watching like a movie like watching yeah. a movie and like this you know it just was kind of completely like all the horror of it. Totally detached. Yeah, it was so yeah. kind of like far removed from how the rest of the world experienced it. But like obviously in New York, that was a whole city that was reeling for years. Mm-hmm. And I can really imagine like a narcissist like Tanya Head goes to New York because she loves America and she wants to make her dreams come true. Yeah. But she can't cope with this New York that's not like you know the New York she saw on TV and it's a New York that doesn't give a shit about Tanya Head because it's in recovery yeah. from this humongous like mass trauma fascinating so how, and she, how to get in on that how to become, yeah, become a part of all this become the most traumatised yeah like it's actually yeah, yeah. pure 
unadulterated narcissism. She couldn't cope with not being the centre and the focus. Do you know what? I'd say a female, the fact that she was a woman meant she got much further along with this than I'd say a man would have. But it was, it was, and it was the layer of trauma. They like, that she wouldn't, you would not, it's one of those things you were like, why would someone lie about that? Because it's it's so Well, it's like truth is stranger than fiction. Like her, it was so elaborate. It was so amazingly sad and bad and everything. Exactly like you said before. Yeah, it was so horrific. It was so gruesome. It was so heroic. Exactly. It was so against the odds as well with being just one of 19 who survived. It was, a movie point of impact yeah it was a love story with a hero it was tragic it was tragic yeah Yeah. there was yeah the great American heroes in it exactly Um, so after all the claims came out and after they were transpired in 2007 uh, it appears she left New York and in February 2008 an anonymous email was sent from a Spanish account to members of the World Trade Center Survivors Network claiming that Head had committed suicide um, but it there was a bu- so there's there, there has been a film and there has been a book about her that were released around 2012. It's actually a really good documentary. It's called The Woman Who Wasn't There. Mm. And is, um, she di- is she alive or dead? So she both the film and the book noted that she was spotted in New York with her mother <gasps> on the 14th of September 2011, and in July 2012 she was fired from a job in Barcelona in an insurance company after her employers discovered who she was. So I don't know whether she. So the email was potentially a hoax. Oh, the email was definitely a hoax. Okay. Yeah, the email was definitely a hoax. Imagine presumably that. from so her. There's been a documentary family. about her. Yes. But they did. I presume they didn't interview her for it, or she. There are snippets of her in the documentary, but I think it's archive footage, footage yeah. from okay. when she was with holding up the. How and so the does the New York, the New York Times piece ran? Google. The New York Times piece ran um, on the twenty seventh of September two thousand and seven by David Dunlap and Serge Kovalashki. It is called "In a Nine Eleven Survival Tale: The Pieces Just Don't Fit." And did she give quotes for that? Because it was after she'd been to her attorney and the social work and the whole thing had come out. Like, do, did she actually... She doesn't... Allow, her, allow an interview or anything? I don't think so. I don't think there is... Uh, I'm just scanning through it looking for quotes. Amazing. And was she... It's just... Like, did it explode online? Um... Presumably like, so. I mean, it's not shamed she, it's, on social media and things. I feel like I'm calling for her to be shamed. I know, but, but it, it's it, just because I'm there like. Are, it's funny because there are a lot of Reddit threads and that kind of stuff about her, but um, there's not like when you Google her name, you get the articles about. You get a couple of articles on Nidorama. There's actually a really good piece on Nidorama. There's a great piece in, on the New York Times. Um, and there's loads of Reddit threads about her, but there's not like commentary or uproar. But I guess it's because it's one of those things that people don't want to delve into too much, I guess. Yeah, why? Mm. Because it's still it's such still, it's still so such a yeah, it's so traumatic for actual survivors mm. to think that someone sort of adopted their trauma to gain attention. Yeah. The people don't want to give her the airspace, I guess, like or don't want to give gross. her. Yeah, it's or she hired one of those companies to try and push down the Google results. 
those companies are very expensive. Yeah, have you looked into them? I might have done some bad things in my teenage years. Bebo <laughs> haunting me. Uh, no, yeah. How do you go on and live a normal life after having done that? I mean, you can't. I think the only... I mean, did she crop up in Chile after the Chilean mining disaster? And like, know, yeah, but this exactly. is, she probably is someone like we saw with um, Samantha as a potty. She probably is someone who adopts loads of different identities and they haven't been pieced together yet. She's very, very distinct yes, looking, Cassie, though. You're right. I just Googled her. She is distinct looking. Yeah. But you could see how she would, she, she would also be very uh, nondescript you wouldn't take if you passed her in the street you wouldn't take notice of her like yeah she's and very did the family ever, normal uh release statements or anything like that i think she's quite distant from the family because of the embarrassment of the embezzlement charges it's like she's she is estranged from like, the father is it because it's 2006 and it just ever so slightly kind of predates the kind of Real, yeah, huge kind of kangaroo court of Twitter and and yeah, social media in general. Probably, yeah. realistically, prob that is probably it. But the f even the film being released in two thousand and twelve, there isn't, um, there really isn't that much. Now I've just found a piece from the Huffington Post contributors, uh, the co-author of the woman who wasn't there, the book, um, Angelo. Guillermo has written a piece called My Relationship with a Fake 9-11 Survivor. So that's probably going to be a good read. But other than that, there really isn't that much about her. There's very little about where she is now. Yeah, and surprisingly little kind of individual vitriol, I suppose, mm. the way you would see with so many kind of transgressors since. Definitely. I mean, she's probably changed her name again. Like That's, you know... She is. Um, Imagine their like family wouldn't. Christmas this year, and you know the way Christmas like you go around the kind of anecdotes of like, you know, and the kind of like, you know, just like slag each other about kind of stupid things that you yeah. did when you were a teenager and stuff like that. Are like the heads just like, <laughs> and Alicia, remember that year that you pretended to be in nine eleven? Mental, mad. Mental. That was a mad one. But I mean, this it? went on for at least five years in New York. This was her sole identity. Like. You know how we're all documenting our, our, our every move now? Yeah. Does this mean that these types of people will have less of a chance of doing any hoaxes ever again or pretending like, to be anybody else? You keep thinking that, but then like Anna Delvey was only last year, wasn't she? Who's she? She's the socialite... <gasps> that was Inverted commas socialite yeah, great story. who like was, you know, terrorising Manhattan. Who was well, that? Yeah. So Remember this, Anna Delvey? Was she German? Um, there was a big piece on the cut. Was it the cut? I remember she was like staying in high class hotels. She yeah. was German. Yeah. And she had everyone in kind of Manhattan sort of social Believing scene convinced that she was setting up some art foundation. She's, uh, Cassie, you know this story. This is all, you all over. She does know it. Yeah. She does. Yeah. I watched <laughs> a 42 minute video yesterday on, what is her name? Susan Hannaford. Look that up. Right, why? Give us a quick... Wait, why? Is this going to be a free future episode of The Creep Dive? Oh, I don't know if it's if there's there's too much about her there already, but it's basically, she's an Australian actress. She owed um, the Commonwealth a couple of million dollars for property. Dollars. Then she moved what, to... What, because it's dollary days. Dollars. 
she moved to LA. She managed to amass about nine homes. How she how yes, she acquired all this. these mortgages is bizarre. But an Australian news program did a feature on her that was released in April. I only saw for some reason it's only been uploaded to YouTube in the last kind of five days. Asking her where all of the millions have gone. Basically foreclosed on all these houses. They were put into her mother's name. Her mother should be 96. She in her 20s had a daughter. She's 65 in the video. In her 20s had a daughter. Her daughter now only looks about 20. There's these two mysterious kids in her house. She's in this. She lives in this big huge house in LA. Which she says is like right across from Beyonce. I think it's the most. It's one of the most expensive houses in LA. Yeah. She rents it out for parties. But everyone says it's a scam. She's a scam artist. Uh, the day they go to interview her, all these weird people start turning up the remember, house. She a hired handyman. Two chefs she accidentally accident. hires two chefs. And then they have a big scrap in mm. the document. It's absolutely amazing. <laughs> she's trying to pretend yeah. that they work there all the time. She's trying to pretend <gasps> yeah, that she has a handyman. The handyman really. tells the camera that he's there for an audition to be a handyman. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's oh, bizarre. No. So but everyone's there, there is, for free. The chefs and all showed up for free. Yeah, but there is a really, obviously, the. The news program that are there to do it are really interested in the money that she owns, the Commonwealth, and the money that she apparently owns, the IRS, and how she financed all these homes and how she got into this kind of like almost pyramid scheme of mortgages. Yeah. Um, but the real question is, who owns those two children? Like yeah. there's one, the older one looks nine. The older one says that she's nine. So... Who owns those kids? She Who's says. The mother of the kids? She says, she her says that her kids. they're her daughter's two kids, That's right. and that she has adopted them because her daughter had them in her teens. But if she's sixty five, and the kids are only yeah. nine, the, the the daughter is the daughter is about forty. Like, but she looks about. She looks like 20? she's Wasn't about the twenty. Interviewed. The daughter's she's interviewed. She's an international lawyer with no law qualifications. It transpires. Right. I don't yeah, believe hilarious. that she's her daughter at all. She may not even exist. Yeah, you I see, think it's an. I think there's all actors placed around this. Is this thing? It's bizarre. And the interview, the it, documentary. It's not really a documentary. It's an interview. It's an interview. Interview. Yeah, interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where all this kind of mad shit keeps happening. Yeah, it's really interesting. Look it up. You see, it's ignorant courage. Yes, and sometimes I think sometimes these liars they just boldly go there, and if it works one time, then they're like, "We'll just keep on going." I know, and sometimes that ends up being decades of fraud and layers of lies and houses and kids floating around. You don't know who they are. Even I, people I know who have are working in areas without and have lied about their qualifications for those particular areas mm. yeah amazing you'd be amazed how much brass neckery is going on that's it <laughs> yeah um, never yeah. stop chancing your arm but seriously so, except don't lie about other people's trauma and adopt it you know for the money thing I kind of get yeah chance that's your it, arm but she never made a dime to, off to it really did she people who Tanya Head that's the thing right because uh, she hasn't been charged with anything there was no embezzlement from the, the fund, fund. Like there was nothing significant there. So her motivation wasn't financial. Again. Once that's again. It's attention. Yeah. With death fakers and, and fraudsters. Yeah, and another they're person. actually defrauding money from people or organizations they're or not insurance. They're not doing anything illegal. There seems to be this trend that I'm realizing four episodes into the creep dive. That the people who lie about like having these great lovers and love affairs and lives in their teens go on to commit these. You not can, everyone. So wait, hang on. That's like every single one. That's of us. like every that's single person who's ever shifted someone. She is many. You know, you didn't. 
going down that? to Wexford and shifting someone. Yeah. Had yeah. three sons oh, yeah. in Ross Lair and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were they were just lining Orgy up for me in Wexford. Um <laughs> Yeah, so uh, there seems to be this real... Now, obviously, people who get really invested in the lies, like Tanya had, in, I didn't get into it, but in her teens was described as having fictitious boyfriends and American, like, love affairs and all this kind of great stuff. Yeah, Jesus. fascinating. So keep an eye on those little white eyes because they go on to be a little bit more They can extreme. become pathological. And you too could end up on the creep dive being <laughs> profiled. Yeah. Um, cool. Thanks, Cassie. So what have we learned today? Uh, don't, I mean, don't, I'd say, underestimate how much people can fucking lie and Pre- be weird. Well, yeah. Never underestimate yeah. the weirdness of real life. Yeah, absolutely. Tr- truth is stranger than fiction. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on this week's Creep Dive. Until for next updates, time. follow at Tall Tales Podcasts. Cast. On Instagram. Yes. <laughs> Rolls off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like how I made a real issue out of saying You made a real that, meal yeah. of that Stick in people's minds now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Until the next time. Bye. Bye.